Thank you, worship team. Look at my lovely flowers. So last year, um, towards the end of last year, I was, I was walking on the promenade, um, I was jogging actually, and then um, I felt, it was one of those moments where you feel God coming over you, and God is speaking to you, and stuff's happening. And I felt the Holy Spirit giving me this message to share, and I had the whole thing in my mind. It just came, da 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 And I ran into a coffee shop close by, asked them for a piece of paper and pen to write it down so that I don't forget what I just heard. Because um, it, was, it was beautiful to me. And um, I've been working on it ever since. And I am going to try to give it a... I'm going to try to give it a stab today. And Pastor Ross then said he would like to preach um, for us this year. And like, you know, we was here a month ago. And when I heard him preach, I thought, well, that was a great introduction to what I want to say. That was almost exactly what I wanted to say. So now I'm going to say a lot of other stuff that he didn't say in the introduction. But please go listen to what Pastor Ross said as an introduction. It was a confirmation to me as well. And this is um, led to personal repentance on my side this last while. And it, interesting, the repentance has caused a slowing down in me. It's caused a lot of anxiety to be released. Um, and I'm very, very thankful for that. I'm only halfway through this journey. But I'm, I'm realizing things we know that glorifying God is much less about doing great things for God, but more about God. <laughs> and about knowing God and worshiping God. Um, And also doing that in the way that he designed it and he desires it. And I've, I've found a great sin in my own heart in this. So I want to invite you to join me because I don't believe this is a me thing. This is a thing that has been there from the beginning. And it's in all of us somewhere hidden. And I'll show it to you through scripture. We need to find this, and if you have, praise God. If you haven't, and you're like me, still wrestling through it, join the journey. The world drives us to fear and anxiety and death by the way that it has us function. And that has even slipped into Christianity. Like Pastor Ross has said, it's not only in worldly pursuits that we get um, full of anxiety and fear and all those things but more dangerously even in christian pursuits because then we make a christian pursuit something that it should never have been because um, the kingdom of god is what righteousness 
peace and joy. And so if we're pursuing what we think is the kingdom of God in whatever way, but we're not increasing in righteousness, peace and joy in it, then we're not, then the kingdom is not advancing because the kingdom is not a set of things, but it's a state in us that has to advance and be multiplied. I think it's a, is, is a fundamental shift in our thinking where, where more is not better anymore. Where praying for six minutes is not better than praying for five. Are you with me? It's a fallacy of our day. And as much as it is, it isn't. We're getting one more client is better than not getting one more client. We're having 20 more people in church on a Sunday is better than not having them. We're running a little bit faster and a little bit further than what I used to be able to. It's just a little bit better than what I'm at right now. The world has us chasing our tails in this way. And I believe God wants to put a stop to that. And wants to teach us how to align our efforts to enjoying the present with God within the limits assigned, even the weaknesses given, and to follow Him from there, whatever that looks like. So I called it finite creatures. I just want to quickly define what I mean with finite. That's the word I believe God said gave me the sermon I heard him say finite creatures so it's on there for that reason I see that slide isn't coming out the way that I designed it so I hope all the others will actually work if it doesn't then I'm really sorry um, but let's look at the next one so finite is um, something that's limited in size or extent that's what finite means limited size or extent are you with me um, inf to, uh, infinity, to be infinite, is the concept of something that is unlimited, endless, without boundary. The thing with, being, with the infinite is that it cannot be measured and it can never be a present reality because it never is. It always is the next it's always the next step. If you achieve whatever you thought was infinite, then there would be a next step. There would be something more. That's what infinity. So it can never be reached. It's never a present reality um, for us. Now, God is infinite. Did you know that? God is infinite. We are finite. We mess that up and mix that up and make a big mistake right there. And that's what I want to speak about and the implications of it. And worshiping God recognizes that we're finite. If we want to worship God, we need to recognize, first of all, that we are finite, that He's infinite, and that's the status quo. And start from there. We know that we are clearly finite. Um, we need to sleep for a third of our lives in order to exist. How about that? As a sign that you're finite. Try not sleeping. It's over. Right? How finite are we? We can't live without food and water. 
for longer than a couple of days, like some of you have realized recently. We're useless if we need to go to the loo. We can't do anything. You can just end the meeting. I have, I, I, I gotta go. We understand. I mean, if you're the queen or the king or whoever, you gotta go and you gotta go. Like, that's how it goes. <laughs> we are stuck in the present, right? We can't go back or forward. We're just here. There's limits to what we can see and um, taste and hear. Some, like that, that time when God told Abram, as far as you can see to the north and south and east and west, I give to you. Now that can sound limitless, like as far as you can see to the north and the east. But then the next thing God says, now I want you to walk the distance of that to the north. So it's actual boundary environment because we can only see that far. And walk that far. We can't jump up and fly and we all die. Are you with me? But isn't there a great war within so many of us so often where we just don't like this? Just wish I could have only slept four hours. That was one of my big sins. I, I told God, like, please change me so I only have to sleep four hours. So I can do more for you. <laughs> Um, realizing now that that's arrogant, that's bordering blasphemy. Let me be more. And you know, we cover it up by thinking, am I going to be more like God? The first thing that we were given on earth to do is to what? What is the first thing, the, what was the first day of Adam and Eve like? What day was it? They were created on what day? And then what happened on the seventh day? <laughs> they started with the Sabbath. They started with rest. It is God that starts with work. We start with rest. He makes it very clear. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. We do. He is always at his work. We shouldn't be. We don't want to sleep and we want to always be at our work. To have this, this drive, I'll show you, is from the devil. And I'm not saying that lightly. To want to be like God in this way. And it actually drives us to insanity and all those things. We have boundaries. God is the one without. But we've been sold this lie that... Um, you know, Buzz Lightyear. You remember Buzz Lightyear? To infinity and beyond. Right? We've been taught to like this and to chase this. We even have positive effect towards it. The thought of it. Wow. Imagine. And sometimes you feel that buzz of Buzz Lightyear. Um, when you're chasing your tail and realizing that this never works. I mean, if this thing that we're going to speak about is, I believe it's a, it's a parent sin. It's, this, it's a sin of sins. There are some sins that are sin of sins. If you think watching pornography is bad, this is way worse. The problem is we've got a positive affinity towards this and a negative affinity towards other overt sins like that. We identify that as bad, but this one we kind of like. 
But I want to put to you that it's way worse than that. It's way worse than watching pornography as an habit, although that is also not a God's design, as you know. But unlimited everything, more is always better, and then more and more and more and more. Pastor Ross said, we, we, we believe that the good life is outside of our limitations. And we even sell that in Christianity. He called it spiritual magic. Rubbish. And let's have a look to see as we journey that this comes from the pit of hell. And it's really, really having a big impact in the church. Um, we see that all God's gifts comes with boundaries. The Garden of Eden, the, the perfect state on earth. The Garden of Eden had boundaries. You can read it. It had boundaries. They're trying to figure out still where it is, but you can't know because of Noah's flood. Everything changed, so you can't really ever know. It had boundaries. When they were sent out of the garden, an angel was put in front of the entrance, wherever that might be. The best thing ever had boundaries. The promised land I told you about, Abraham, had had boundaries. It had a beginning and an end. And you know what? It's a very small little piece of land that they're still fighting about. Jesus' ministry was around a small little lake, the Sea of Galilee. What would we have done with his ministry? What would we have done if we had him? We'd say, eat healthy, live well, so we can keep you for 90 more years. Because if man can live 120, you can live 120. And we're going to maximize your ministry to the whole earth. For until you're 120 years old. That would be the best thing to do, wouldn't it? Yet, it took three years around a little lake in the middle of nowhere. If you've ever been there. I haven't. I've only seen pictures, but it looks like the middle of nowhere. It's not Cape Town. <laughs> Jesus' ministry was incredibly limited. The best thing that ever happened in size, in extent, in time. He even said, well, after me, you would do greater things than I. What kind of a God is that? Even the new Jerusalem, it's, there's limitation. Like they tell you in the book of Revelation how big it is. Exactly how big it is. It's, it's more or less as big as southern Africa. That's how big the, the city is. Like if you take all of our neighboring countries into consideration and ours, that'd be the size that the book of Revelation say that the new Jerusalem is going to come down will be. Like, it will be that big. It's got boundaries, walls. Everything God has given. The psalmist writes, says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Are you happy to embrace the boundaries that God has given you? Or do you contend with them always? Like me. And never find peace. How do you relate to boundaries? Do you think the child that's five year old and outside of his father's house, do you think he's free? Or the one inside? How do you relate to it? Do you see the world as having infinite possibilities? Everything is possible. And we even quote scriptures to very wrongly assert the fact that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet he says, <laughs> we should do the things that he calls us to only, the things that we do in his name only, and he will not allow us to do 
anything. What if everyone wants your ministry, your gift, your business? Business owners, what if a hundred international clients contact you tomorrow and say, we all want your product now? You know what most Christian business leaders would do? They'd work around the clock and make sure it happens. There's no limit. There's no boundary. As big as it can be is better. But Jesus wasn't like that. His ministry wasn't like that. If everyone wants your gift, I mean, should you launch, if you've got an amazing preaching gift, I mean, everyone tells you, well, then you should, I mean, learn how to use social media and make it happen, bro. Make money from the views and then you can, you know, use that to get, get the ministry even bigger and touch millions of lives. And how do you feel about the fact that what God has called you for might have a limit and a boundary and might be much smaller than what you'd like to know? And how would you feel if it is much smaller? Like walking around the lake for three years. How do you feel about it? So, let's look at a few things. From the beginning, <laughs> this is the fall of Satan. Isaiah 14, he said, you said in your heart, this is now Satan saying in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Remember that line. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of, of the pit. Before the first human sin, there was this sin. It was the sin of I will exalt me and I will be, be I'll make myself like God. I'm not happy with the boundaries I have. I'm not happy. I want to be like God. So all things can be possible for me. That's how it started. I will make myself like the most high. Rejecting boundaries and a desire to be more like God. You see how easy the devil can twist this thing of wanting to be like God? Because aren't we called to want to be like God? But then if our time with God is because we become more like God when we spend time with God, then our time with God is in essence idolatrous. Because we want to use that because we know it leads to us becoming more like Him. That means we can do more things and be like Him. It is a slippery slope. And it results as it did for Satan in misery and death and defeat, isn't it? And right after that, he comes to mankind, I'm not too sure if it was right after that, but he, he comes to Eve and he has a conversation with her and he says, listen, did God really say? And Eve tries to say what God really said and then he said, well, it's only because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be what? Oh, his desire, his age old desire and you will be like God tricks them with the same temptation that he had. If you do it, you'll be like God. 
And she doesn't really respond to wanting to be like God. And the thing I've realized is that this thing in believers is, a, is, is way low in your subconscious. You don't say, like, I want to be like God and rule the world. You don't say it. You hear it. You get a sense of it. And you kind of bury it way below your desire to be great. And then on top of it, you say, well, um, I see that the fruit of the trees, it is, it is good for food. It is um, pleasing to the eye and it is desirable to make me wise. She justifies this thing by other reasons and her reason for eating it is that it is good for food and makes me wise and it looks really beautiful. Aren't we designed to love beautiful things and eat good fruit and to become wise? She eats it, and it ends. The fall of man happens, and sin enters into our hearts. And as we read in Scripture, that seed is within us. It came all the way from the fall of Satan through the fall of mankind, and it's in all of us. It almost feels to me like 1 John, when it says that the things of this world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the Pride of life is from the Father. It seems like ach, it's from the world. It seems like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what God has from the beginning. And it kind of looks good. It doesn't look that evil. But it's got that hook in it of the ultimate sin. And then we move on from there and we see the Tower of Babel. Then they said, and all the people were together at that stage. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves. Remember, I will make myself. Come, let us build ourselves. We don't need God. We're going to do it ourselves. A tower with its top in the heavens. We're going to reach the heavens. Us. We're going to make, we're going to reach the heavens. And let us, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us exalt ourselves. Exactly what Satan said. What he had in his heart. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The same thing comes through again at the Tower of Babel. And God intervenes and he stops it. And one of the things that I see with these things throughout as well. Scripture and afterwards. There is great consequence. And it's almost like God allows it for some time and then he stops it. He will never. There's a lot of technology and stuff around currently that we're afraid would, you know, we'd all become robots one day and not be humans anymore. And there's going to be an, a war between us and the robots. And I don't know. Um, a lot of people actually believe that and, a lot of, uh, and saying this might even offend you because there's a lot of like where can this go what can this be what can this become what if they have their way like well, what if Neuralink works and what if we find a way to have people never die and auto regenerate that seems like plausible technology that's on the cards I'm telling you that God stops those things he always has. Moving on, we see a man called Herod. 
he loved the praises of people. And on an appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne, delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, apparently because he was a very good, he also was really good at, at speaking, was a very good orator. And they shouted and said, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod didn't give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. The word of the Lord continued to spread and flourish. You know what? More than 2,000 years afterwards, you can go read up on Google or ChatGPT, whatever you use. But more than 2,000 years after Herod the Great died, the doctors have now settled on what exactly killed this king of ancient Judea. They say it was chronic kidney disease complicated by a very uncomfortable case of maggot-infested gangrene of the genitals. There was worms involved, like the Bible said. God says no when man chases infinity. And Throughout history, there's examples of this. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great died at the age of 32. Do you know that? After conquering like the whole world. But by the time of his death, he was convinced that he was not the son of King Philip II. But he was, in fact, the son of the omnipotent Greek god Zeus. And then... Alexander was taken ill after a prolonged banquet of drinking and 10 days later he died. <laughs> so the omnipotent son died after drinking too much at the age 32 after thinking he was God. He was a God. Men who had hunger for infinite global success, Napoleon, Hitler, God allows those things and then he stops them. Napoleon, Napoleon was on, in exile on St. Helena Island from when he was 45 years old. None of these guys even made it very far. And then he died six years later from stomach cancer. Adolf Hitler killed himself when he realized that he lost the war. So now you might say, listen, I'm not that evil. I have no desire to kill everyone and to rule the world. Okay? If, if you do, we can... We can pray for you afterwards. We have an altar call. But we'll pray for you after this. But can you see how this pulls through all the way from Satan's fall to our fall to the way that people have been conducting themselves over the years? To bring it a bit closer to home, we're going to look at a couple of stories of People you might say was God's people, was part of the people of God that we might relate to more. So we can see where this, still, this thing is still prevalent even there and what it might look like. Because we can easily say that we're not like those guys. Yet I found in myself a lot of these things. Saul's disobedience in 1 Samuel 15 when God gave him a clear instruction of what to do. Kill everyone and the life and all the livestock. It was a clear instruction, and exactly know what he had to do. But he decided to please the 
people and because he thought he knew a bit better to keep all the good things of the land for himself and for the people. And when Samuel came to him, he said, well, I did as God told me to do. What we actually should have said is, but I thought I had a slightly better plan that could, be, that could benefit us more. And I did that. And God said, I reject you as I'm king from that moment. When even the people of God come to God and say to God, listen, I want better. And I'm going to do what you said, but I'm going to add something to make it better. And you see this. You see this very often. God gave me a specific ministry. I'm going to maximize it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it big. And so your name is on billboards and everywhere. Not that I'm saying all of those things are bad, but I know where a lot of them come from. And it's that adding on to what God said to make it even greater than happens. Like with Saul. The disciples... Can you believe it? Just after they went on a mission trip and saw a lot of crazy miracles, they came back, they fed the 5,000. And after that, they had an argument of who of them would be the greatest one day. Who would be the greatest? Now we laugh at them. But they just didn't know that that's not a thing to go for. We kind of know. So we hide it. We just hide it deeper. But still, we think of our, us and our role and the guy that's next to me in his role. And am I really greater? Why does my boss think of me in this role? Am I a little bit better than him? Like, I, I wonder if everyone would say at the year in function that I'm actually the guy that made this company work, because I think so. Or our business versus that guy's business, we want to win. We want to make sure that we're always on top and that drives you. In ministry, it's rife. I mean, hearing about someone else's success and then you don't have any kind of make up cool stories the disciples have been like that and you know what Jesus then corrects them and then again in Luke 22 after the Passover after they've just taken of the bread and the wine for the very first time right after that at that table they have the same argument again who will be the greatest among us you say, Jesus, you now said you're going to die and all that stuff. So we need to figure this out. Who's going to be the new Jesus? It's within us. It's within the disciples' hearts. We need to be honest about it. Salome's request. You know, she was the mother of James and John. She, she, she asked that her sons be enthroned next to Jesus now. A mom's folly might come in the fact that she's selfless and doesn't want anything more self, but she does want her two sons to sit at the right and the left hand of God and have them enthroned, and it was not granted. And in, one, in Philippians 1, we read about preachers preaching the gospel out of envy. Now, Dr. Cornel Becker would say that this original sin I'm talking about, he calls it envy. He says, I want to, I'm having a discontent for what I have and seeing something else and wanting that. And always going for something I don't have that I see somewhere else. That's envy. That's, he says, that's the original sin. And these guys preach the gospel out of envy because they see what 
Paul has. And they want the same kind of success. So it's not only Alexander the Great and Herod. It's been there. In the disciples, in the preachers after that, in, in the kings before that, and in us today. We've got these underlying things in our Christian culture that that can be really inspiring and good, but more often than not, it's incredibly dangerous, especially to young believers, and it's especially young believers who get hooked by them and to pursue something that before they were with Christ, they wanted to be famous and rich, and now they can be famous and rich for Jesus. But they can still be famous and rich. It's just for a good cause now. And that's not the gospel. We know these things. Like be a history maker. Be a world changer. You're a world changer. You're a history. A world changer. Who's ever been a world changer? (laughs) A history maker. Wow. So your name can be written in the history books. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. Be all you can be. Be fully fulfilled. It becomes the aim of many Christians. My work is not fulfilling anymore. So I need to find something that fulfills me. That's secular rubbish. You need to do what God has called you to do. And you'll be fulfilled by God as you do it. Not by the circumstance that you find appealing. And you find the circumstances more appealing feeling if you would see God in it even though your flesh might not want to do it advance the kingdom of God the king, and then the kingdom of God is often proclaimed to be a set of ministries and programs and missions and whatever but the kingdom of God is an increase in righteousness and peace and joy and while you're advancing the kingdom of God you have none of that no joy, no peace, anxiety as you, as you chase. And that, this is obviously best case scenario because a lot of us honestly have a few utterly worldly drives as well. The thing with these things that so inspire us, they also trip us up big time. Because we never really make it, do we? Never really make it. You never really change the world. And you're 35. When is you... When are you going to start acting up? Or are you just going to start, you know, they're telling yourself lies about the fact that you're actually great and in some weird way you're actually changing the world without anyone else knowing and so actually amazing. But what happens is, and most of us, we sit with this thing that I'm not actually, I'm not actually good enough. I was inspired to do this, but I can't. You're never called to do it. I'm not good enough, I, I can do more, I mean, I, I, I have quiet time, but it's like only, only 15 minutes. Maybe if I can tr- try to do half an hour. Now that can be a good motivation, but can be a very bad motivation as well. I should do better, I, I will try harder. One, one day, I will get there. And then we want to sleep less like me. And work more and spend less time with God because we want to do these things for God. Yet the main thing we are called to do is to be with God and listen to God and hear His voice and receive the life that He's poured out in us. But we don't do it 
Most of us say, most of you tell me I was really busy. Busy with what? Busy with a little bit more of something. More studies. More accomplishment. More work. More salary. More something. That's just never ceasing. I'm almost, almost done. I'm almost, you're never done. I've seen it in many. All the people, my parents say, they never stop. They sit and work until they die. And we even celebrate that. Yes, we're called to work hard. And yes, we're called to follow Jesus and great things can happen. But great things can only happen in you in a healthy way if you've completely surrendered and put that thing to death, the desire for that greatness through your life. You have to surrender the kingdom. I'm speaking to believers now. The kingdom. So I want to lead you through a few of the things that I'm repenting about and then I'll be done and we'll continue again next week. But I believe God is wanting to bring a massive change in us and we're going to see a lot of peace and joy that we've been longing for, but we don't know where it is and how to find it. And we actually, actually know that we just haven't been pursuing it because we've been pursuing other, other stuff. We've been hooked by these drives to be infinite, to, to have a little more, to be worth a little more. Let me tell you how it happened in my life. I'm, I had a vision once of a children's village, a village for orphan and vulnerable ch children that's got school and clinic and that's financed by a lot of businesses around it. And I had this whole thing that I believe God gave me and I was very excited for this thing could be done if God so wills, you know, it would cost a billion rand to build one and all that. And, but then... In that dream that was from God, something else came in that I only realized much later. Is I had in my heart that in my lifetime, we will look after every, every orphan and vulnerable child on the face of the earth. That became the vision. Because that's what secular vision casting exercises tells you to do. Make it impossible. Go for it. How am I going to touch every orphan child's life? And I realized that was never God. And I felt like a failure in it because went down to live village, saw they've got the same, same vision. From there we came to Cape Town. We helped to, um, to find and establish the organization that Juliet works with a lot, um, that works in that space. And then God exited us, exited us from there. And in my mind, I've always thought like, God, you know, time's running out. At some stage, you have to bring this thing back again. And I've realized subsequently, like, what if, what if that part of my calling is already done? But because I, I fell for the hook of every child in the world, it was never enough. I never enjoyed it that much either because it always felt like it's not going there. What if that's done? So the village went to that. 
pastoring in Cape Town, I'd always say, you know, we, we don't do the mega church model. So, you know, I, I don't want to be that. How wonderful am I? I'm happy with small congregations, but in my mind, I wanted 10 of them between Woodstock and Seapoint because that would be successful. Same thing, isn't it? Look at what happened when there was, a, when there was revival in the Enchid church in the 1860s. There would be 10 between Seapoint and Woodstock if that happens. So then that's the goal. And somehow we think that's honorable. But I've realized if I'd see it for what it is, I would see the devil looking to destroy me and whatever God has called me to do. I wanna, I'm called to do business with Jesus and I'm, thank you to, and, I'm th- and I'm thankful for the fact that I can do that. But that somehow changed to mean that I would somehow one day have to manage billions and billions of rands for Jesus. I'm so sorry to say, but that happened in my heart. Way down below. Work in India, we're doing a lot of cool work in India. In my heart, it went to India's going to become a, a Christian nation through what we do there. And I see, the, I see the way. But the progress is so slow. It'll, it'll never happen. And I realized that the drive towards that was not what God gave. He said, he sent me to specific people to do specific things. And I am called to be content with that. And if India becomes Christian, praise God. But I fell for that. Working the Himalayas, reaching unreached, immediately went to in my heart. And it, it happens in the same, I always want to say, in the same quiet time with God, where you receive this vision and you weep about the fact that there are unreached people in the Himalayas. Himalayas, you would even write in your journal at the end of this thing, you'd write all unreached villages saved in the Himalayas. And there you go again. You've just compromised righteousness and peace and joy in your life and you're going to anxiously toil towards something that God never gave. God does those things. We partner with Him. We don't build kingdom. God builds kingdom. We see what God does and join. And that's a joy. And thank God we don't do it because we would mess it up. Like Ross, who was it that said it's like me asking my little child to come and wash my car with me. It's not because I want it done better. It's because I want to be with him. I had a desire to be a father of, of, of children. But then that thing changed in my heart a, while, a long time back. I even told God I would have as many kids as you would provide for. Unlimited amount of children I'll raise. I begged my wife and God that we don't have a third one. I believe that repentance is now complete. I'm working on the others. 
Here's a, here's a big one that can steal a lot of your joy. And a lot of you have had this also. You, there was times that I thought it was incredible times in God's presence, seeing miracles, doing amazing things, seeing people coming to salvation. And I thought all the while that those things were preparation for the calling that God would one day have for me. Because the calling I'd one day have would be so much bigger than what I just saw. And I've, in many instances, I've never seen greater things again. And I realized that was part of my calling that's now done. And while I was sitting with a psychologist uh, one day, he, I forgot that I read that scripture of my strength is my perfect in weakness that morning. And at some stage he looked at me and he said, well, how, how do you feel about weakness? And I had a kind of a, of a nauseating look on my face, I guess. And I said, well, I actually did despise it because it's weak, isn't it? It's weak. I hate weakness. He said, I think that's your problem. <laughs> he was, he was spirit-filled. And so I looked back and I saw that God had me read that this morning. I despised my weakness and boundaries. Like I said, I wanted to sleep four hours only. And I wanted to change the world before I die. And the more that seems to slip through my fingers, the more anxious I get and the more confused I become. The interesting thing is if I look back on my life and I would look at, if, if, if I go back 15 years and I'd show myself the picture of what I'm busy with today, I would have my right hand chopped off to have that. I was like, what? Look at my family. Look at where we are. Look at what I get to do. Look at the congregations I get to be involved with and the businesses and the things God is doing. It would be, I would sign up for that any day. But now that I'm here, It's preparation for the next season that will be really great. Maybe the next season is sitting in some mountain hut in India for 10 years, laboring for two people to come to salvation. Well, was that greater or not? Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? As long as I can grow in righteousness and peace and joy and that be multiplied into everyone that I'm with. Because we ch chase these things because we think that we'd have joy when we reach it to some extent. But we never, ever do. Even when we do reach it. And when we do reach it, and it was God, we don't really enjoy it as much as we thought we would. Because there was never the thing we should have enjoyed that much. Like when the disciples came back from their mission trip, they said, Oh, we saw demons leaving and people being healed and da 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 And Jesus said, that's fine, but you should rather rejoice in the fact that names written in the lamb in the in the book of life. And that doesn't make sense in that moment. But that's the truth of it. I, I, I do believe that our desire for infinity is driving us to insanity. The never enough, more is more is better. I will try harder. Must meet once and for all with. It is finished. And then we have to stay there. Can we get the worship team up, please?
let's respond to God on this. I believe he wants to set some of us free. And I found in my heart that some of those things were really hard to let go of. I really banked on a few of them to be the success of my life, to be the fruit of my walk with God. And it feels like, how, how can I let go of that? But I want to tell you that even if it is fully from God, Isaac still has to be surrendered fully. Are you with me? Isaac was from God all the way. He had to surrender it fully. So if you're struggling to surrender your dreams unto God, then it means that it slipped into being something that it shouldn't have ever been. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would, in your mercy, in your grace, in your fatherly love towards us, you would draw near to us right now. Each one of us, Lord. And Lord, as we, when we were born again with, we were born with this desire to see your kingdom And Father, I repent this morning, everyone that wants to kind of agree with that, where that is not, where the primary thing is not being the pursuit of the fullness of what you have done for me and to multiply that, but it's become other stuff that's fancy. And Father, I, I thank you that you always welcome us in. I thank you that your disciples, you, you didn't chase them away even after the second time where this thing came up. But that you take us back when we come in repentance to you. 